So this morning, we've already been worshiping the Lord Jesus through singing songs of praise to his name, uh, to uh, praying to him through giving uh, and through hearing his word uh, being read to us. Now it's time to hear his word preached. Um, and so will you join me if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 8. That's where we'll be in our time together this morning. And so 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 8, uh, go ahead and turn there. And as you turn there, let me go ahead and offer a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this Resurrection Sunday. Uh, thank you for, um, yeah, Lord, uh, great, graciously granting us life uh, to worship together this morning as a new church. Uh, thank you for, um, yeah, Lord, your gospel being on display this morning. Uh, thank you for this good news of the cross that has gripped our hearts, um, that has uh, rescued us, saved us, uh, transformed our lives. Lord, I pray that as we hear uh, your word preached this morning, that our hearts would uh, set ablaze even the more on your goodness and your mercy towards us in the Lord Jesus. God, I pray that you'll be glorified now as your word is preached. Uh, may you increase and may I decrease. Lord, have your way. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 1, reads this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Christian, this morning, what is the most important thing to you this morning? Uh, what is most important to you this Easter Sunday? Uh, what are you prioritizing in your life right now that is of more importance than the Lord Jesus? Uh, some of these things may be good things. But what's taking your focus off of the most important thing? And that being the gospel. That being the Lord Jesus. You see, we live in a culture that uses catchy phrases like keep God first or put God first or gospel centrality. But if some of us kept it 100, if the layers of your life was peeled back, it may show that God is actually not first in your life and that the gospel is not central and most important in your life and that you are or maybe you're tuning in this morning and you think this whole resurrection thing is for the birds 
Uh, you think it's suspect. You're skeptical about Christianity. And so I'm, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Thank you for, for tuning in if that's you. Uh, please keep watching. Don't tune us out. Don't tune me out this morning. Uh, we'll chop it up about those particular thoughts later in the sermon. So I, I pray that you'll stick with us. And essentially, this is the context of the chapter we are studying this morning. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. Corinth is located in modern day Greece. And he's writing to believers to address some of the doubts some of them may have um, and some like you may have this morning about the resurrection. And so I'm excited to dig in the text this morning. If you're taking notes this morning, here's the main idea of the sermon. And it's this. The gospel is of first importance. Once again, the gospel is of first importance. And I just have three points for us this morning to guide our time as we walk through the passages. And so here they are. Point number one, we need to be reminded of the gospel. And we'll see that in verses one through two. Point number two, we need to prioritize the importance of the gospel. And we'll see that in verses three through four. And then point number three, we have receipts as proof of the gospel. And we'll see that in verses five through eight. So once again, we need to be reminded of the gospel. Two, we need to prioritize the importance of the gospel. And then three, we have receipts as proof of the gospel. And so point number one, we need to be reminded of the gospel. Look back with me at verse one of chapter 15. As it reads, it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand. Notice that Paul starts off reminding the Christians at Corinth of the gospel. So the question is, why did they need to be reminded? Maybe they had forgotten it. Maybe they needed to be reminded as a challenge to them to not lose focus on the main thing. I think they needed to be reminded just like we as Christians this morning need to be reminded of the gospel. You and I often forget. I, I, I don't really mean we forget the content or, or the message of the gospel per se, although that can happen. What I'm more so meaning is that sometimes as Christians, we forget that the gospel is for us too. We forget that the gospel is for us. We, uh, that is not just for sinners, it's for saints. I remember a sermon by John Piper where he says, we never outgrow our need for the gospel. We never outgrow our need for the gospel. I, I believe that's right. You don't receive the gospel as some diploma, as if you graduate from gospel class. No, 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 no. You're in the class every day. You and I are in the class every day because you and I need the gospel every day. This is why it's important to preach the gospel to yourself. To remind yourself that you've been forgiven of your sins. That the Lord Jesus has saved you. That he's rescued, rescued you from the wrath to come. So receive this good news by faith every day. Let it take root in your heart. Let it be what your life is centered on daily. 
So Paul reminds them that he preached the gospel to them. We find the background of his preaching uh, to the Corinthians in Acts 18. And so just a brief context about Acts 18 is that Paul goes to Corinth. He finds some faithful believers there. His homies Silas and Timothy arrive in Corinth with him. And then he preaches the gospel in the temple where the Jews worshiped. So listen to the results of Paul's preaching in verse 8b of Acts 18. Here's what it says. It says, And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Praise God. So Paul reminds the Corinthians of the gospel that he preached to them, which which as we see in our passage this morning and in Acts 18.8 that we just read, that they received it. See that in verse 1? It says that they, they received it. It says, which you received. So they received the gospel. They received it like a pass from Tom Brady to Gronkowski. They received the good news of the cross. In other words, they believed it. They accepted it. They believed it. And then two, they stand. Or as the Christian Standard Bible says, they have taken their stand on the gospel. You see that as well in verse one. This means like the song says, all other ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. These Corinthian believers were standing on the gospel. And you and I this morning, if you're a believer, We need to stand on the gospel. The gospel is the only firm foundation to stand on. Everything else will crumble under your feet. Anything else is shaky ground. And then number three, they are being saved. We see that also in the text, starting at verse two. It says they are are being saved by this gospel. So what this means is, is that their salvation and our salvation uh, is what some places in scripture presents as an already but not yet reality. So it's it's an already but, but not yet reality. Let me make it plain. If you have genuinely repented of your sins and received the Lord Jesus by faith, you are saved. You are you are born again by God's grace. You are already saved. This is a wrap. Positionally, God has redeemed you. But at the same time, you and I are still being saved. We still live in a fallen, sinful, broken world. We all still struggle with sin. We still have to deal with the effects of sin. But we are heading to a time where sin will be done away with, where where death will be no more, and where Satan will be completely done away with. And we will be forever worshiping with God, worshiping Him, seeing Him, being in His presence. But that hasn't happened yet. We are heading towards that reality. So we have been saved and we are being saved. Listen to how the apostle puts it in 1 Peter 
chapter 1, verses 3, to, 3 through 9. This is what he says. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So did you catch that? Did you hear that? Did you, did you hear that already but not yet reality in 1 Peter chapter 1? But then moving on in the passage, Paul then gives them a challenge. He gives them a challenge. Look back with me at verse 2b of chapter 15. Here's what it reads. It says, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. I like how New Testament scholar Thomas Schreiner comments on this. He says this. This is what he says. He says, believers are saved by the gospel. That is, they are rescued from the wrath of God, which will be poured out on the last day. He gives some scripture references, Romans 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, and 5, 9. Final salvation, however, will not come without perseverance. Believers must hold firmly to the good news they receive. If the believers do not remain in the faith, then their initial faith was in vain. So we are to persevere as believers in the faith. But if we don't, it just shows that maybe we didn't really believe from the beginning. So the question you all might be having right now in your mind is, is can a believer lose their salvation? My answer based on scripture is no. Here are two places where we find our answer. Ephesians 1.13. So listen to Ephesians 1.13. It says this, and Paul wrote this book as well. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Or 1 John 2, verse 19, it says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. So if you're a genuine believer, man, your salvation is secure. You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You can take comfort in that this morning. But if you fell away from the faith, that's probably proof that maybe you didn't believe from the beginning. 
But the good news for you on this Easter Sunday, if that's you, if you fit in that category, is that you can be saved. You can have genuine faith in the Lord Jesus this morning. If you repent of your sins, if you turn away from your sin and turn to him in faith, in belief, trusting in what Jesus has done for you alone. And the Bible says you'll be saved. So I want to invite you to that this morning, if that's you. Come to him. He's open arms for you. Look to him. So we need to be reminded of the gospel, which leads to my second point this morning. We need to prioritize the importance of the gospel. Point number two, we need to prioritize the importance of the gospel. Look back with me at verses three through four of our chapter. It reads this, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So verses three through four are the essential truths of the gospel. These verses tell us the word that Paul actually preached to the believers at Corinth. Notice that he says the gospel is of first importance. That he delivered to them as such because it's how he received it. So he delivers it to them as such and, and because it's essentially how he received it as of first importance. As I was preparing for this message, um, I, I found this to be really dope. Uh, do you remember how God saved Paul? Do you remember? Uh, we find the backstory of Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. And just a little backstory on Paul, if you didn't already know, Paul used to persecute Christians. Um, he used to beat them up. He would take them to jail and, and he uh, would essentially have them killed. So he used to persecute Christians. But then Jesus saves Paul by knocking him to the ground, as we see in Acts chapter 9, with his glory. The, the light that shone bright in Acts chapter 9. I want to invite you to read that story sometime if you haven't done so already. Because it's an amazing story to see the conversion of, of Paul. But fast forwarding, Paul is discipled by believers there. And look at the first thing that he does after being discipled. Listen to Acts chapter 9 verses 19, 19 through 20. It says this. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. Did you catch that? That Paul was with the disciples there for some days, learning, growing in Christ. And then he immediately afterwards goes out and he proclaims Jesus is the son of God. So Paul received the gospel. He goes and then proclaims the gospel. He delivers it as first importance 
because it was delivered to him as first importance. So Christians, is your discipling of others rooted in the importance of the gospel? Is, is, is your discipling of others a, a display of showing off the Lord Jesus in your time when you're meeting with a sister or when you're meeting with the brother to catch up, to encourage one another? Is Jesus central in your helping one another follow him? Or does sports or hair supplies or any other topics of less importance get more airtime in the combo than him? I'm not saying you shouldn't talk about any of those things. I think that's okay. What I am saying is that they shouldn't take more priority over Jesus. That Jesus should be the central theme in your conversation. That you all are seeking to give one another Jesus because you realize that, man, he's your only hope and that he's the only one that you can bank on during the week. That hair supplies, that sports, those things will fade. But, but Jesus won't. His word will, will last forever. And so I want to encourage you to give one another Jesus. Let the gospel be central in your discipleship. It has to be. It's of first importance. It's the only hope that we have. And so let's break down this good news a little bit more as we look at the verses. Look back at verse 3. What does it say? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. What does this mean? Well, it, it, it means that uh, Christ had to come and rescue you and I because we are sinful. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden uh, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. You remember the story? God gave them a command. They rebelled against the command and essentially wrecking it for all of humanity. And because of their sin, Man, we all, everyone who has been born since then, has been born as sinners, separated from God, uh, deserving of his righteous wrath due to sinners. We have done wrong. We don't desire God. Ephesians 2 tells us that we are dead in our sins and in our trespasses. What does that mean? It means that, man, you and I are spiritually dead apart from Christ. And that God has to come and breathe life on our dead corpse. And that's good news because God did and can. In the Lord Jesus, he sent his son, Jesus, who is God, who came and lived the perfect sinless life in your place and in my place. And then as the text says, he died for your sins and for my sins, being a substitute for us. 
taking your place in my place. What good news is that? Listen to some of the verses. Uh, Romans 5, 8 says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 is considered the, to be the great exchange. And here's what it reads. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you catch that? It's that Jesus takes your sin and my sin and gives us his righteousness. This is crucial to the gospel. And then two, Christ was buried in a grave, but he was raised from the dead on the third day. We see that in verse four, as we see here. Christ actually died. This is real talk. God had to punish someone. And it could have been you, and it could have been me. But we wouldn't have been able to take his wrath. Only God can satisfy the wrath of God. And he did that in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he died and was buried in an actual grave. Think about that. Let that sink in a little bit this morning. That he went to the grave for you. He didn't have to. It wasn't his sins. It was our sins. But he willingly and willfully went to the cross. Went to the grave. But, oh, thanks be to God that he did not stay there. That's... While we are gathering this morning because, hallelujah, he rose from the dead with all power and dominion in his hands. Christ got up again. Had he not, and although we're not studying this verse this morning, I find it helpful to mention what Paul says in verse 17 of this chapter. Here's what he says. He says, and if Christ has not been raised your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. This is a CSB translation, Christian Standard Bible translation. Do you see that? And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. So if he didn't rise from the dead, our faith is worthless. We have no reason to gather right now. We're still headed towards hell because of our sin. But thankfully, that is not the case. Amen? We have receipts, which leads to our third and final point this morning. We have receipts as proof of the gospel. Point number three, we have receipts as proof of the gospel. And we see that in verses five through eight. So here are the proofs. Here are all of them right here. One, the scriptures. Look back at verses three through four real quick. Notice that it says in accordance with the scriptures at the end of each statement. Do you see that? It says that uh, here in verse three, it says uh, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Verse four, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So a few foundational things of, about the scriptures is that God is the original author. 
These are his words on the pages of scriptures. The scriptures are inspired by him. Yeah, he used uh, uh, men to, to write these words, but, but he was the one who was sovereignly orchestrating the pen. Which then means that there are no errors. There are no contradictions. It's the whole truth and it accomplishes everything that he intends. We know this from 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, where it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See that all scripture is breathed out by God, inspired by God, and it's profitable for everything. Or Isaiah 55, 11, where the text says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You hear that? Is that God's word, it goes out, it never comes back void. It doesn't return void. His word accomplishes everything that he intends. Listen to these verses just as one example for Tom's sake. Think about Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 10. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Who are those verses talking about? They're talking about the Lord Jesus. He fulfills this passage. Isaiah 53 was, was speaking about him. It was speaking about him to come and to be treated as a criminal and to, to die. A gruesome death on a cross for our sins. This passage points to 
his life, his death, his burial and resurrection. He, in other words, did all of these things in accordance with the scriptures. So continuing on with more receipts, and I'll move a little quicker through these, but two, we have eyewitnesses who saw the Lord Jesus die and be raised from the dead. Here they are in the order of the passage, starting at verse five. So one, we have Cephas, which is Peter, the apostle Peter. Two, the 12 apostles. Three, more than 500 brothers at one time. James, who is the Lord Jesus's brother. And for reference, you can check out Matthew 13, 55 to, to show that. But James being the Lord Jesus's brother. Five, all the apostles. Six, Paul. And then seven, women. We can't forget all of the faithful women. And I won't read it now, but I encourage you to check it out in your own time. But Luke 23, verses 55 through 24, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12 for reference. Check that out. But I'll just say this real briefly right now. The ladies were the ones who first saw the resurrected Lord. So we can't forget the, the faithful women who walked with the Lord Jesus and who he appeared to, to show proof that he was raised from the dead. And then three, and lastly, we could keep on going, but for time's sake, Jesus told the disciples he would die and be raised from the dead. So I'll just read one of three times that he mentioned this in Mark's gospel. Here's, here's one uh, reference. So Mark 10 verses 33 through 34 says this, Jesus saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. You hear that? The Lord Jesus tells us what was gonna happen to him. He testified to what the father had preordained for him. So we have receipts as proof that Jesus was who he said he was. The tomb is empty right now. So if you're skeptical this morning or you just don't see this as of importance this morning, I wanna invite you to study the claims of Christ. Don't just take my word for it this morning. Do some homework. Do some digging. Go and, and study and, and, and see about all of what we've been hearing this morning. Read the Gospel of Mark by yourself or with a Christian friend. Don't harden your heart this morning. God desires to save you. So may the Lord soften your heart that you might uh, be safe this morning. And if God by his grace shows you that this is the truth, then only one response is appropriate for you. Repent and receive him by faith. Repent. We, we talked about this a little bit earlier in the service, but repent is just a fancy word that means to, to turn away, to turn away from all of the wickedness in your life, the sin in your life, and the things that God hates, and turn to Him 
in belief, in trust. And when you do that, the Bible says that you will be saved. Oh, may you be saved on this Easter Sunday. This is what God desires for you. That you might experience true joy in Him. You, you think you've been experiencing joy in, in the world? No, no, no. Jesus wants to give you true joy and satisfaction and peace that is only found in Him. And salvation, ultimately. Salvation from His wrath to come that is due to you if you stay in unrepentant sin. And so I plead with you this morning, on this Easter Sunday, don't delay any longer. Don't let this just be another Easter Sunday. No, let, let this be the Easter Sunday that you devote your life to Him and that you are different for the years to come, that you have given your life over to Him and seek to please Him. Don't delay any longer. Trust Him. Receive Him. He loves you. And if you are a Christian this morning, uh, I, I want to invite you to keep on believing this message. Uh, keep on uh, receiving this message by faith daily. Preach it to yourself. Rest in this message. Resting in the sense of knowing that, man, you didn't do anything to save yourself. That, that God uh, did everything to save you and that you can rest <laughs> this morning from, from trying to please him. No, no, no. God has satisfied the wrath that was due to you and I through the Lord Jesus Christ and he offers life that you and I have received as believers freely. So, Accept it now. Receive it now in a fresh way. And, and put away your, your works and trust in His work alone. And find joy in that. Find rest in that. And share this message. Share this message of hope to everyone that you come in contact with. We've been commissioned to do that. Matthew 28, where the Lord Jesus commands us to, to make disciples. And so, go. Go today. Go next, tomorrow, next week. Proclaim this good news. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for uh, this Resurrection Sunday. Uh, we, we, we praise you uh, for the reminder of the gospel. We, we praise you uh, that you uh, give us your word uh, mercifully to remind us to prioritize or reprioritize what's of most important. And then, God, your word is true. You, Lord Jesus, were who you said you were. We have the proof. The scriptures testify, testify to it. This, the Holy Spirit testifies to it. God testifies to it that you were who you said you were. And so, God, I pray that all of us listening in this morning, 
would see you as such. That we would see you and know you as our resurrected King, God, Savior, Lord. And I pray that we would share you as such. Lord, I pray on this Easter, Lord, that, um, yeah, that this would be an Easter like none other. And that we will take your good news and continue to spread it everywhere. And that it's just not for this weekend, but it's for all year. And that the good news is just not being heard on today, but man, we got to hear it tomorrow and the days ahead, months ahead, years ahead. May the good news never get stale to us. May it never become old to us. May it be fresh to us. In Jesus' name.